You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 8th of October 2018 on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Andrew Muller on today's show. I believe in God. I believe in you. I believe in our Brazil. To almost 50 million people who voted for me today, thank you again. We are together. Together, we will rebuild our Brazil. Jair Bolsonaro claims victory, but he's not quite there yet. My guests Antonio Sampaio, Isabel Hilton and Fernando Augusto Pacheco will be taking an extended look at this past weekend's elections in Brazil, whether far-right candidate Bolsonaro can be stopped and what it means for Brazil if he can't. That's all coming up on Midori House on Monocle 24 right now. So, welcome to Midori House. My guests today are Isabel Hilton, editor of China Dialogue, former Latin American affairs editor for the Sunday Times and The Independent, Antonio Sampaio, research associate for conflict security and development at IISS, and Fernando Augusto Pacheco, associate producer at Monocle24. Welcome all. This evening, we will be taking an extended look at Brazil following yesterday's elections. At the climax of a campaign bizarre even by the recent standards of Brazilian politics, far-right presidential candidate Jair Bolsonaro, still recovering from an attempt on his life last month, fell just short of the majority required to win the Palacio de Alvarada at the first time of asking. He now faces a runoff against left-wing Workers' Party candidate Fernando Haddad on October 28th. Um, Fernando, you are, in fact, not alone among our panel, but I think you're the most recently back from Brazil. You you have barely ditched the fancy fruit-based cocktail with a little paper umbrella in it, and, and now here you are. Um, what was it like being there? Because obviously you watched the early part of the campaign a long way away from your native Brazil, i.e. from here in London. Uh, how different did it seem once you got back to Sao Paulo? Well, I'm glad I was there actually to understand what was happening in the country because before I went, uh, you know, I knew Bolsonaro was popular, but I didn't know how how many people were going to vote for him, people that you wouldn't expect. Sometimes even close relatives and friends. So I could see the anger of Brazilians. So I say that it was good for me to be there but also quite scary in some ways because every time I say, why are you voting for him? I mean, you know that he said all those awful things, but people, they were not considering. They're like, well, he said that, but I'm sure he doesn't really believe in that. I think no, he, We've heard this before yeah, somewhere, haven't we? Exactly, exactly. So it is a very much of a different feeling there. And of course, I have to remind listeners, I was in Sao Paulo, uh, which is a state that has also very much of an anti-workers party vibe, in re- especially in recent years as well. Uh, just to follow that up, Fernando, when you're talking to people uh you know people you of your acquaintance or indeed people who you are related to who are vote, voting for bolsonaro which you were not expecting what reasons did they give you you'd also mentioned an anger in brazilians and brazilians would have every reason to be angry with their politicians but was that it was it a, a, a drain the swamp kind of vibe well the two main themes that people spoke to me about was uh violence i mean the country is indeed i mean the the, the you know the the violent violence rates in brazil are increasing i think in every almost every single state and of course corruption as well i mean the operation car wash i mean it's a good thing people know the political parties that have been involved but the country took a hit economically as well because of it and 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 people don't trust the the main political parties and then come bolsonaro saying that he's against corruption he's going to be the savior and once again quite a lot of people believe in that 
Um, Antonio, uh, to ask you a, a similar question, um, he, he polled very respectably in the first round, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, uh, 45%, 46%, in fact, there or thereabouts, which is nearly a win at first time of asking. Is there a, a single solid answer to who are his people? I mean, he has been compared a lot to Donald Trump and doubtless will be again before the end of this program. There was that narrative around Trump, flawed though it was, that his people were, you know, left behind white working class people is, is it the brazilian equivalent who are bolsonaro's people or is this a, a different phenomenon well bolsonaro's people um is an amalgamation of uh people who have been left uh, felt out of uh politics for quite some time uh with the rise of the pt you know the the workers party ruled brazil for about 13 years and there is a a section of the electorate who is uh, far, uh, who is right right leaning and have been voting for the PSDB, the Social Democrats, and now um, a large portion of that vote, I believe, went for for Bolsonaro because the PSDB has been one of the two main parties in Brazil for quite some time and the main opposition voice to the Workers Party. Uh, and in the previous election, he narrowly almost defeated Dilma Rousseff, who was then narrowly elected and then impeached, and. This time, the PSDB plunged to less than 5% of the vote. So a lot of the center-right people went to Bolsonaro and believed in this anti-systemic, this anti-status quo narrative, uh, given the, the crisis that Fernando mentioned. There is an economic crisis, there is a security crisis, and all of that... Uh, together forms this, this picture for we need something radically different. Uh, Isabel, as Fernando was mentioning, and as all coverage of this election has mentioned, Bolsonaro does have a history of, of saying some fairly appalling things, um, actually extremely appalling things, usually, but not exclusively at the expense of women or gay people. Um, I think, again, to invoke the Trump comparison, we do have to consider the possibility that people are voting for him, not despite him saying these things, but in fact because he says these things. And Are we learning here that the, the Trump model can be exported? I think the, the, the points of resemblance between the Bolsonaro campaign and the Trump model are really too numerous to be coincidental, um, including uh, a guest appearance by Steve Bannon, uh, who is apparently a friend of one of Bolsonaro's sons, and but one Bolsonaro's son has said has been advising. So you have outrageous and, and aggressive use of social media. You have very unpleasant rhetoric in speeches which give permission to others to, to um, adopt unpleasant rhetoric, you have the sense of being an outsider, despite the fact that this man has been an extremely undistinguished congressman for 17 years, mm. um, would, uh, rose without trace in Congress, but, but that has allowed him, since he's not one of the one-third of Congress that's been charged with corruption under Lava Jato. Which actually kind to, of makes him a distinguished <laughs> congressman at this point. I'm almost distinguished. I mean, the, 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 bar, the bar has been lowered. <laughs> right. It allows him to present as an outsider and, and to, you know, the, the the authoritarianism, the magic solutions, the willingness to embrace torture, to suggest shooting criminals, all of this seems remarkably similar to Trump. And it taps into this sense of anger that, that you feel in Brazil, which has been building for some time. You know, Brazil Brazil's economy kind of lost... It, 10% of GDP in two years mm. and it hasn't recovered and, and unemployment rates are high and the search for a kind of political 
magic bullet in Brazil goes goes back quite a long way. I mean, Lula, in a sense, was part of that, and the collapse of the traditional parties is really remarkable. Mm-hmm. You know, they were they were perceived as not solving Brazil's problems. Lula eventually gets in; it goes very well for a while, and then under Dilma, there's a there's a terrible economic crisis and an explosion of the corruption investigation. This, it seems to me, is another reach for a, a magic solution by people who are, you know, at their wits' end, frankly. Uh, Fernando, did you notice, uh, compared to other Brazilian elections that you may have remembered or lived through, a, a more obviously uh, toxic aspect to the to the language and the rhetoric and the discourse generally this time? Because, again, this is a, a complaint made uh, about Trump, not without reason, that whether you agree or disagree with things he actually does, uh, the, the damage he has done to the, the, the level of public discourse is a is fairly unarguable. It was extremely toxic. And I think, you know, Jair Bolsonaro being so popular, he's allowing people to express some of their hateful views. I mean, I think since Brazil's redemocratization, uh, our first election, I think was 1989, I never seen such a kind of a, a, a dirty, quite nasty campaign in a way. Because most, you know, even Lula himself and Henrique Cardoso, they were fairly moderate. I don't think they were offensive, you know, to certain sectors, especially among women. I mean, I never seen that. Uh, and, and that's quite horrible. And Isabel mentioned about social media. I mean, Brazilians, they use social media a lot. And in this election was extremely important. Uh, there was even, uh, in Brazil, everybody uses WhatsApp. And that's how Bolsonaro supporters get their news. I think 80% of them, they check their yeah. groups on WhatsApp. And this has been extremely influential. I mean, uh, on Facebook, you see all those posts. Uh, uh, and there's been a lot of fake news. I mean, even the latest one, I think uh, you can agree that, you know, that, that where you vote, if we vote electronically in Brazil, they're saying that, you know, when you vote, it goes against Bolsonaro, which was clearly untrue as well. So, yeah, it's it's been a terrible campaign. Uh, Antonio, as, as Fernando alludes to there, democracy is not, is very far from being a uh, you know a- ancient established fact of, of Brazilian life. And one of the other motifs of, of Bolsonaro's campaign has been a... Actually, it's not even implicit, it's actually quite explicit nostalgia for the years of military dictatorship, which did only conclude in the late 1980s. Obviously, Bolsonaro himself has some military experience. His vice presidential running mate was a very recently retired... Uh, general. Is that a big thing in Brazil, that kind of nostalgia for the years when the country was run by hatchet-faced gentlemen with lots of gold braid on their hats? Uh, and if that is the case, why is it the case? I would say that it um, it is a recent uh, development, but I was actually going to agree with Fernando that uh, previous elections have been in, in retrospect, they have been remarkably stable and, and run on, on, on moderate points of view in comparison to this one. And Brazilians have a tradition of electing uh, moderate towards the center candidates. An example is Lula of the Workers' Party. He ran several times and lost and then was elected uh, for the first time in, in the early 2000s uh, after moderating his, uh, his, his proposals and issuing the famous letter to the Brazilian people in which he pledges to um, follow guidelines of uh, good economic uh, policies and, and, and so on. Um, regarding the military regime, Again, another example of how this election has been a point outside the curve has been unprecedented because we had uh, during the past few years of uh, utter mismanagement and chaos and economic crisis, you had 
very small protests calling for the return of the military and, you know, a military coup and the military has to return, which people brushed off as being, you know, part of a, a radicalized minority. Um, I, I, I won't say that this this um, nostalgia towards the, the military regime and the order insecurity that it provided is, is something that goes to all Bolsonaro voters, but it's something that has expanded and contributed to his aura of um, uh, tough on crime and someone who will bring order to, to, to the country. Um, Isabel, the phrase there that uh, Antonio used, chaos and crisis, is a, is a pretty good... If someone was going to write a book about recent years in, in Brazilian politics, it would be tough to improve on that as a title. Any of you can have that for... for <laughs> actually, I was going to say for free, but no, my, my usual 10% will suffice. Uh, Isabel, is, is there uh, a level at which, if Bolsonaro is to be the next president of Brazil, then Brazil's political establishment of recent decades really only have themselves to blame? Well, I, I, I think the record certainly hasn't been very encouraging. You know, 60% of the Senate is is accused of corruption, 30% of Congress, as I say. And and it's not that it's not it's not only that. It's that all through the system, pretty much to get anything done, you have to you have to pay a bribe or know somebody. And the system redistributes the substantial tax take in Brazil. It's you know it has a tax take equivalent to an OECD country. Um, but instead of distributing this to the, to those who need it, it's distributed to those who don't need it. It goes upwards. So the bulk of pension spending goes to the goes to the the better off, and and only a tiny percentage goes to the poorer uh, people. If you look at education, it's the same. The subsidies subsidies go to university level and not to primary school levels. So kind of all through the system, you have a capture of policy by money and special interests, you know, which isn't just, you know, the, a, a big a big company kind of bribing a politician, as in Lava Jato. It's absolutely pervasive, special interest groups throughout. And a civil service, for example, that has managed to monopolize a lot of the goodies. So if you're not in any of those groups. Not only do you not trust your politicians, not only are your politicians not delivering for you, but kind of daily life and almost at every turn, you're facing exclusion and and obstacles. And it makes people in the end very fed up. So you get a lot of crime. You get a lot of things like, you know, express kidnapping, where old people are, are marched to the to the bank and told to at gunpoint and told to extract their their um, told to take out money from their bank account. And, and you get sort of crimes almost at every level. And you have a police force which pretty much fails to investigate crimes, but is pretty trigger happy. So in 2016, the police killed 4,000 people. Uh, Fernando, before we take a short break and then move ahead to have a bit of a look at where this might all be taking Brazil, we should take a look at the, the gubernatorial and regional elections. It wasn't just a presidential election taking place in Brazil, very far from it. Um, incorporating into your answer, hopefully, uh, the answer to the question of how a, a porn star and a scion of Portuguese royalty somehow got elected. I did initially think they were the same person. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I had to correct. Uh, yes. 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 <laughs> they <laughs> could well have been. Well, I, exactly. You know, they... they, they <laughs> Anything could happen. Uh, yeah, ha having having sort of breezed through my, my research, possibly over hastily. But nonetheless, uh, they're, they're still quite remarkable CVs in their own right. Absolutely. Well, b before I talk about the porn star and the Portuguese royalty, 
again, if, New, anyone, if anyone's looking for another book title, that's, that's, exactly. that's right there. Uh, the, the thing is, Bolsonaro, I mean, people think, oh, it was just for the presidential election. But look at our new Congress. I mean, his party in, in 2014 had about four MPs and now he jumped to 52 MPs. I mean, that's True. remarkable. Mm. I mean, funnily enough, he's is the second largest party parliament. The first one remains the Workers' Party, even though they lost a couple of MPs, but they remain uh, the largest one. And in, in, when you talk about the you know gubernatorial elections, I think Rio is an interesting case, uh, right, Antonio? Antonio's state. Uh, we have a candidate, uh, Wilson, uh, Wilson Snitzel, and and he said that you know I support Bolsonaro, and only because of that he was an unknown judge. I mean, he's going to the second round with more than forty percent of the vote. Again, very remarkable, and I think there was kind of a last-minute decision of the electorate because uh, he was not even meant to go to the second round. And yes, we had this former porn star who became an MP, and guess which party he belongs? Bolsonaro. And you know, I'm not. And, and I'm, I'm just joking here because you know the party of Bolsonaro is about traditional values. You know, uh, about a man and a woman and a traditional kid. And, and uh, this guy, Alexandre Frota, he's very much of a conservative these days, even though you know he did quite a lot of gay porn and other things in the he's past. A, he's a traditional conservative gay yes, porn star. And, 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 and some people are even saying that he could be our n- new uh, culture minister as well. There is this risk. I, I, this is not a joke, yes. right? It's uh, uh, We have an interesting selection of new MPs. That's all I can say. And and, and behind all that, there is the, the rise of these right-wing uh, points of view conservative, despite the uh, colorful example of Alexandre Frota. Uh, in Sao Paulo, a surprise win was by a senator of the PSL, the Bolsonaro Party, uh, that was a major uh, retired member of the military police, promising being tough on crime and uh, making it easier for police officers to to make use of the firearms. And uh, the, the judge in Rio that got first place, no one expected that he also has a tough on crime approach. So a number of examples in, in, in regional elections of this uh, conservative and uh, hard security approach. Okay, we're going to take a short break now. You're listening to Midori House with me, Andrew Muller, along with Isabel Hilton, Fernando Augusto Pacheco and Antonio Sampaio. Coming up next, more focus on Brazil with specific reference to the question, now what? The Escapist takes you to places less explored. In this special edition, we hop on a hodgepodge of connecting trains to recreate the story journey of the Orient Express from London to Istanbul. We pass by drive-through liquor stores and small desert towns on an adventurous road trip from New Orleans to Texas and visit Europe's highest airports. For the jet setters among you, we'll show you how to beat jet lag in cities from Hong Kong to LA and reveal our annual travel top 50, highlighting the best in transport and service from the most picturesque rail journey to the airline you'll want to board for your next trip. Perhaps that next flight will deliver you to Cairo or Madeira or the island of Tashima. We'll take you there and we'll tell you where to stay, drink and dine next time you find yourself far from home. We've even put together a wardrobe for wherever your travels may lead you, as well as an eclectic selection of books and songs to keep you entertained on the journey, when you're not too busy looking out the window spotting the places you've yet to visit. The Escapist from the Editors and Bureau of Monocle magazine is out now. Get your copy today or subscribe at monocle.com.
You are back with Midori House, with me, Andrew Muller. Still with me are Antonio Sampaio and Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Having looked at how Brazil got here, let's look now at where Brazil goes next. The second round of the presidential election takes place on October 28th. Jair Bolsonaro looks a firm favourite to win it. It's not an easy prospect to embrace with great enthusiasm. Bolsonaro's public pronouncements, as we've been discussing, have been depressingly long on dislike for women and gay people and equally depressingly consumed with nostalgia for Brazil decades of military dictatorship, which are very far from being picturesque ancient history, having only ended in 1985. So what might this all mean for Brazil and for brand Brazil? I guess we should look first of all, uh, Antonio, at the second round, October 28th. Is there any chance at all that Bolsonaro doesn't win? I think think there is. I think that... um my theory is that the uh, the most decisive section of the the voters will be those that did not go to the polls this time. So there were 20 million Brazilians who did not go to the polls. Voting Brazil is mandatory, so you get um, you got you get punish in a, in a very uh, slight way. You have to pay a very small fine. But if you don't, uh, some of your documents are frozen and you can't get passports and things like that. Um, they these voters might decide that the second round is more decisive than the first and and go go to vote there are also close to 10 million people who voted uh, blank or nullified their votes so they went there or either pressed the blank button or they pressed a number that does not uh, exist so um, these these people might consider the the second round more important than to take a position however uh, that position might well be, against the status quo, which is the the, the number one uh, thing in, in voters' minds in Brazil now. And the problem for, for Fernando Haddad of the Workers' Party is that he's trying to get the message of being the salvation of Brazilian democracy and the candidate that will unify them. But he's associated, and obviously he's part of the Workers' Party that has dominated, has, has ruled Brazil for the past 13 years and is associated with all the corruption scandals, etc. And his first step uh, today, uh, the day after the election, was to visit Lula in jail. Some analysts um, speculated that he might not do that as a gesture to the other candidates that he is, you know, he's now a more uh, centrist, a more unifying figure. But no, he went and and visited Lula, which shows that he still clings to this uh, workers' party, uh, us against the elite kind of narrative. And voters might not believe that that is different from the past. Uh, Fernando, it's a difficult question to discuss uh, pertaining to Bolsonaro without seeming overly prurient, but it has hung over this campaign, which is the state of his health. He he was stabbed at an election rally uh, early in September. He spent most of the campaign in hospital. Um, He was clearly extremely seriously injured. Do do we know, actually, whether his health is an issue? Well, I don't think his health will be an issue. In fact, you know, before the last debate, which was Thursday before the election... The doctor, from from what I understand, said that he could have gone to the debate, but then he said, you know, just to protect his health, that he wouldn't go. And, you know, I'm just being a little bit cynical here. I think he was also trying to avoid the debate because the less he talks, in a way, the best, the better for him. And that's what I think Fernando Daji could play a little bit in the second round because now he's out of the hospital and he, he will have to debate with him. And we, we didn't see that yet in the campaign, like a direct, uh, you know, confrontation between two candidates. And uh, and that, that's, yet, that's yet to be seen. How 
how uh, Bolsonaro will, will react in those because he's very good in one-to-one interviews. I'm not so sure in a debate. Uh, Isabel, to revive another question uh, which was raised many, many times in the during the Trump ascendancy, is there anything, do we think, to the idea that you know, up until this point, he's just been saying lots of stupid, mad, unpleasant stuff in order to attract attention to him, rally the base, etc., etc. And once in office, he will govern in a relatively grown-up fashion. Well, that really worked with Trump, didn't it? <laughs> um, I, I've rather given up having faith in in the normalising uh, uh, effect of, of occupying the presidency. Like Trump, he has a track record of, of flip-flopping on really quite important things. I mean, he once he once suggested that, that the former president, Fernando Enrique Cardozo, should be locked up for advocating privatisation. He now advocates privatisation. <laughs> um, you know, he wants to appoint many more uh, Supreme Court judges. Does this sound familiar? There's, there's a whole programme which, which is almost taken directly from the playbook. And I think that his his performance in this election suggests that, like Trump, he really doesn't care what he says and he will go on not caring what he says. Um, he will be supported by a very large number of people who have no experience in government. And, and the, there's quite a large uh, party, as we've heard now in Congress. And I think we can't rely on him settling down. He's going to have to face quite a lot of immediate uh, economic issues, but we don't know um, how he'll deal with them. Uh, Fernando, which does, I guess, bring us to the question of what this does for Brazil's image in the world. I, I mean, obviously, I know, and I'm sure we all do, um, you know, American friends who've been somewhat nervous of, of opening their mouths and talking in the last couple of years when outside America for fear of uh, what people might think of their president. Bolsonaro as a kind of ambassador for brand Brazil, is it going to make you feel any more hesitant about wearing your Brazil shirt to work? Yes, and it's funny that you mentioned the Brazil shirt because during the World Cup, I because we should say we're not we're not kidding about this. During the World Cup, you frequently turned up for work, not merely in the shirt, but the shorts and socks. And can I be honest with you, Andrew? I, I don't think I might do this again because it's a shame. Because now wearing the Brazil shirt associates you with a Bolsonaro. I was wearing accidentally a yellow jacket and a yellow shirt coming back to London, and 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 a woman in Brazil said, "Oh, this one is going to vote for Bolsonaro," and she was quite happy. <laughs> <laughs> but I was I, I was just embarrassed. I just ran away. Uh, so it's a shame that the colors of our country, which before, you know, Brazil, we have many problems, but we had somehow still a, a positive image in the world, you know, the party, the drink, the music. Having a far-right uh, candidate leading the polls with almost 50%, uh, you know, a, a man that supports torture, I think this would be very damaging for uh, the, the image of Brazil. Many Brazilians don't realize that, especially the ones uh, there in the country that don't know actually what the international press is talking about Bolsonaro. Uh, we've only got a couple of minutes left, so I do want to blast around the table very, very quickly, asking you each in turn very briefly what's the best that could happen if Bolsonaro becomes president and also what's the worst I'll start with you Antonio what do you think is there are there any glimmers of optimism about any of this well uh, one uh, slight glimmer is that Bolsonaro as uh, as was mentioned before is quite flexible in his approaches so unlike Tactfully Trump, put yes uh, so he uh, uh, the privatization thing is, is 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 an example he chose an economist Paulo Gedges who is uh, a known liberal a neoliberal and the the this person uh, believes in privatization 
privatization as a way to to reform the economy, and he he's going for that. Um, he might flip flop on other on other issues as well, and he might and he has already said that he he doesn't understand lots of issues, and he wants to get the best people. So that might be good. Isabel, is there is there anything good about the prospect of a Bolsonaro presidency? Uh, nothing leaps to mind, I have to say. Um, but I, I, but for my worst um, my worst uh, fear, I suppose. I mean, apart from you know poor, the suffering of poor Brazil, uh, is to do with the Paris Agreement. He's another climate denier, and Brazil actually is hugely important. Uh, you know, it today the uh, the UNFCCC's report on uh, 1.5 degrees of warming came out. Clearly, we're very, very close to the edge. If the Amazon is further depleted, you know, if if the restraints are taken off, and there's a lot of pressure on all of that, um, I wouldn't be confident that Bolsonaro is going to resist, and he may well follow Trump and announce that he's taking Brazil out of the Paris Agreement. That would be very serious. And Fernando, in about 15 seconds, can you play us out on an upbeat note or not? Not quite a beat, but the thing <laughs> is, I do think if he wins, uh, this will force the Workers' Party to admit some of their mistakes and, 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 and rethink everything, especially because you know many Brazilians also don't agree with the Workers' Party uh, because of the corruption case. So I think with a Bolsonaro victory, they, w- they will have to stop and think how can they move on. Well, that does bring us to the end of today's show. Antonio Sampaio, Isabel Hilton and Fernando Augusto Pacheco, thank you for joining us at Midori House. The show was produced by Fernando Augusto Pacheco, researched by Martha Libri. Our studio manager was David Stevens. Music next at 1900. It's the Monocle Culture Show. I'm back with more on the day's main stories on The Daily at 2200. Midori House returns tomorrow at 1800 London time. I'm Andrew Muller. Thank you for listening. 